Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Took us far more than 30 shows, but today we arrive at the final team of our end of season team by team breakdowns. Yes, end of season. That is April 10th. <laughs> we could have started it that day. And nearly three months later, we're finishing it up. Now, obviously, that's not what we did. We sort of meandered our way through it. We had lessons learned at the beginning of the offseason. We talked a bit about the draft, wove in some sports betting episodes, free agency episodes, trade episodes. So, yeah, it wasn't really like a we're going to bang out 30 teams in 30 shows, but it is a little funny that it lingered into July this year. Off-season episode number 63 today, ladies and germs. We are officially now kind of into the month of July. August, next month, August. This is sort of a weird time. Uh, Dog days of baseball happen around now. I think there's a little bit of a dog days in the fantasy basketball off-season because you've got summer league or like pre-summer league type stuff, but it doesn't really change a whole lot. I, I don't put much stock in it. You're playing... These are these zero defense games. Um, but we'll work our way through. We've got some ADP reports to worry about. Then we'll kind of start working on buckets. That'll probably come after that. And we can begin to do that because hopefully by the time we get through the ADP reports, those last few big free agents will be signed. We'll have a real idea of who's going to be where and, and we can start to set up some names and numbers. I am Dan Baspers. Welcome to the show. It's Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Again, I'm going to do it every off-season episode. I'm doing it every single one. Thank you. Thank you all so, so much for what has been a record-setting off-season in every capacity. And I just, again, I, I do wonder how this translates to what next in-season might be like. I'm very excited, but I don't want to, I'm going to keep my... My hopes in check. Let's just keep growing this thing. And I'll keep putting out everything I can. Here and Twitter. At Dan Vespers on Twitter. Love to have you guys chat it up over there. We'll chop it up. Chop. Talk fantasy on the socials. Anyway. Let's talk Phoenix Suns. Last team on the board. Best record in the NBA. 64 and 18. Nobody was close. Grizzlies were eight games back. That was your number two seed in any conference. And then the Heat and Warriors each had 53 wins this last season. So the Suns ran away with it. And for the entire season, they looked like the team to beat. They looked like they were a cut above pretty much everybody in the NBA, with the possible exception of the Bucks when they tried and the Warriors early in the year when they were healthy. And I know the Bucks only had 51 wins, but we all kind of knew they were coasting a little bit. So that was more like a mid-to-high 50s win team if they cared at all. Then the Warriors lost Draymond. They went into a little bit of a funk. Lost Steph. Went into another funk. Grizzlies rolled along. Good ball club, Memphis. But you could see they were just one click behind. Teams like the Suns, the Warriors, Bucks. At least for now. And then it all came apart. Suns got undressed in Game 7 by the Dallas Mavericks of all ball clubs. They've got to figure out what they want to do with DeAndre Ayton. And by all accounts, at least right now, it does look like he's going to be somewhere else. So the Suns have some serious work to do. Contractually, 
They've got a lot tied up in Devin Booker for this year and next year. It's interesting. I actually thought his contract was longer than that. It surprised me a bit as I was starting to kind of go through and, and get the numbers lined up for this episode. Chris Paul, this coming season, and then two more after that, which I believe takes him into his age 45 year. It's a joke. Mikael Bridges, his extension kicks in. He'll be making 20-plus for the next four seasons. Landry Shamit is going to be dramatically overpaid for each of the next four seasons. Jay Crowder is in a contract year. Dario Saric is in a contract year. Campaign has a couple years. Cam Johnson, he'll be a restricted free agent. And uh, they did just extend Bismack Biombo, I believe. So, the obvious thing with the Suns is the center position. So we'll deal with that last. Because everything else feels... Uh, well, now barring a Kevin Durant trade, because obviously that would change things just a wee bit out in the Valley of the Sun. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Mikel Bridges. These guys were all extremely predictable this past season. And then there was kind of this other contingent that had stretches of fantasy value. And over the course of the entire year, Jay Crowder actually did end up inside the top 90. But a lot of that was because when Chris Paul was out, he took a step forward. When Devin Booker was out, he got extra shots. Cam Johnson missed a bunch of time towards the end of the year. Jay Crowder got a bunch of extra stuff when guys were out. He was kind of that guy. I mean, Maybe you could say Cam Johnson was that guy, but Jay Crowder was also that guy, and it bore itself out, actually, in those two players' fantasy numbers. Cam Johnson was number 95. Jay Crowder was number 88. They each missed about 15 ball games. We're rounding a little bit here, which put them kind of at the back end of what you'd be willing to throw into your lineup on the Roto side. And, frankly, not all that compelling as a player you'd want to throw in there on the head-to-head side. I say this because if you're going to be in that 90 to 115 range in head-to-head, you should be durable. Otherwise, you're a little bit of a headache. Drop it in and out of lineups when you're not producing that well as it is. And I know what I'm setting the bar maybe a little bit too high for hyper-competitive 12-teamers, but if I'm going to start a, the number 95 guy for the entire season, I want him playing 70 ball games. I want him beating the average player's game's total mark so that he can then beat his ADP and be more like a top 75 totals player because those are the guys you should be considering in head-to-head. It's funny, too. Head-to-head, you're probably looking at, like, top 75 totals and above. That's your target. And Roto, you're looking at top 75 per game and above. There is a pretty good split there. And, and up at the top of the board, there, that's where things overlap. You want your first few round picks to play in a ton of ball games, regardless of what format you're in. You could even argue that this past season, JaVale McGee had a couple of weeks where he had fantasy value. It wasn't most of the time. It certainly wasn't all of the time. But DeAndre Ayton... Missed 24 games this year. McGee had value in some of those. Even Bismarck Biombo had value in some of those games, but he's such a bad foul shooter. And, yeah, I mean, this is still Bismack we're talking about. JaVale McGee, we know he can pile things up pretty quickly. So, with Aiton missing time, all you had to do was pump McGee up from his usual 14, 15 minutes up to, like, 20, 21, and that was enough to creep him near the edge of the top 100. McGee is elsewhere, by the way. Biombo is still in Phoenix. But there's just no way the Suns go into this coming season with Bismack Biombo as the guy that they 
are hoping will be the guy? Like, I don't... I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Is, uh... Is, is Frank the Tank still on that team, or did he get moved somewhere? He probably got moved someplace. I just... So it is a little bit hard, I guess, to handicap the center spot with the Suns. I'm going to assume that someone relevant ends up in that spot. And then when they do, the Suns become a little bit of a run-it-back type of team with the caveat that this year left a really bad taste in their mouths. What does that do for next year? How does that change the way the Suns approach the regular season for next year? If at all. The honest truth is, I don't really know. But we can make somewhat educated guesses. We know that in this iteration of the Suns, if everyone is healthy and they bring in a starting caliber center to replace DeAndre Ayton, who again is seemingly likely to end up somewhere else, but I guess we don't know for sure. He could be back. There isn't a whole lot to change. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton, or there's some kind of fill-in. Mikael Bridges. Let's just say the center. The starting center on the Suns is probably going to have fantasy value, but certainly Paul, Booker, and Bridges are obvious ones. And Mikael Bridges never misses a ball game. He was number 54 per game this year, but he played in all 82 games. He was actually a second-rounder by totals. That's a stellar thing to have aboard you. And then as far as the other guys are concerned, the, if you want to call them the kind of quote-unquote superstars, or superstars, you don't need to put it in quotes, Devin Booker was number 17 by totals, 20 per game. He played like one game more than the average fantasy basketball player, real basketball player. Chris Paul was number 19 on a per-game basis, slowed a little bit late in the year. He was number 20 by totals because he had that injury that he somehow came back from pretty quickly this year. So what do you make of all this stuff? Um, For one, you know, I don't see Chris Paul relinquishing whatever control he has over this organization right now. He's, He's the engine. He's the guy that won all those games late for them in the regular season. And actually, his assists were ultra high. His steals were really nice. His free throw percent was weirdly low this last year. Chris Paul shot 83.5% at the foul line. All the other stuff was pretty much on par. And then with Devin Booker, uh, a lot of pretty good stuff, actually. Field goal percent at near 47, eight free throw percent at 87, up over a steal per ball game, 27 points, five boards, five assists. He's up near three threes per game now. I don't really see any huge reason why a lot of this stuff should change. I guess you could see Devin Booker doing ever so slightly more, but, I mean, 21 shots a game is already a boatload. Could Chris Paul start to show signs of slowing? Yeah, that's also a possibility. Like, getting up around 11 assists a game is pretty crazy, but he pretty much settled into a... I'm almost going to exclusively pass for like the first three and a half quarters, and then I'll go do stuff in crunch time. And for a long time, it worked. And it's not super clear why everything just kind of came apart for the Suns at the end of that Dallas series. The Mavericks had a couple of really hot shooting games, but at the same time, 
Phoenix should have been able to make some adjustments there. Was the issue that they needed to be able to switch more? Was the issue DeAndre Ayton? Was it something else? Like, Miguel Bridges is supposed to be a guy you can put on people defensively. Jay Crowder is supposed to be a defensive guy. They should have had the pieces to deal with that series, and it just it just didn't work. And from the Phoenix standpoint, I don't know what you can go and do right now unless you can get someone of note back in a DeAndre Ayton sign and trade, and then if that's the case, why is another team going to give you back something that improves you if they feel like Aiden was the better player anyway? Is it going to be someone that comes back that makes the Suns better than what they had this last season? It kind of feels like Phoenix topped out with this build, which, mind you, was a good top out. Top gear was good. 64 and 18 is amazing. But the playoff flame out this season after making the finals the year before, that's not. That's bad. So they ain't going to the season with Bismack Biombo as the starting center. It's just not happening. Someone's going to roll in there and collect center stats, and it's going to be swell. And at that point, we can talk about what that person's stat set looks like and where they ought to be drafted. But for now, you should be looking at Chris Paul and probably going to go a little bit later than he should, as has been the case for three consecutive seasons now. Devin Booker is always going to go on the relatively early side because he scores a ton and will likely continue to do so. Although he did live up to it this last season. Mikael Bridges is probably going to get drafted a little bit later than he should because no one's going to believe he can keep playing in every ballgame. I really thought that this last season for Bridges was about as bad as he could have looked. 54 was fine and all, but only 1.2 steals and .4 blocks. He did it almost all on powerhouse efficiency which is great. We knew that was going to be part of his game, but we were expecting the other stuff to look a little bit better. Mostly defensive stats. I would expect better than 1.2 steals per game. And, you know, maybe he goes in every damn ball game again. Like, he's a guy that I think you should really consider late 5th, early 6th if he's still floating around out there. He's a very safe grab. The upside is not like first or second round per game, but it is better than it was this last year. He has upside in the 10th category, and he has upside in does his game improve. The other player I would consider on the Suns, if you're kind of looking at who might grow a little year over year, probably not Jay Crowder. We pretty much know what he is. It's probably Cam Johnson. I don't know that his minutes go up enough to where that's going to be sort of locked into value. Remember, he got more shots when someone's out for the Suns. And when the season starts, that's probably not going to be the case. But those two guys, Crowder and Johnson, are guys that you should be keeping sort of a half eye on. Crowder's a low upside play. Johnson's a little bit of a better upside play at the end of your draft because, again, what if he gets better? What if he gets a little more opportunity? Over the last 30 games he played this season, Cam Johnson averaged 28 minutes, 14 points, 4 boards, 2.5 three-pointers on 47% from the field, and 89% at the free-throw line. So great foul shooter. Field goal percent pretty good for someone who hits a bunch of three-pointers. 
The problem, of course, is that he only got 9.8 shots in those games. He needs to be someone that can get up near 11.5 or 12 before things can really click into place. But at the same time, 10 shots a game on super efficiency, that does put him inside the top 100. And as we talked about already, he was pretty close to getting there over the full season for getting, you know, adding in all the games where guys were out, where he was good. Then there were games where he missed, where other guys got to step up. When everybody's healthy, he's probably outside the top 100. But when even one guy is out, he shoots up the board. So there's a decent chunk of upside there. At the same time, I would be okay with everybody just left those guys on the, in the pool on draft night, on fantasy draft night, and picked him up when the time was right. Because more than likely, Crowder's going to be the one that starts. The toughness factor, whatever you want to call it. He'll probably be in there to get his steals and get his threes on his bad field goal percent, and he'll grab some rebounds and just sort of scrape and scratch. And he'll have a week where he's top 120, and he'll have a week where he's 80, and it'll all average out near 100. Super boring fashion. But is that really the guy you want to take with your 13th round pick? The one where you're like, well, this guy's almost definitely going to be at, like, number 105. Or 110 or 115 if nobody gets hurt. That's boring. Take the guy where something crazy might happen. Do you go Cam Johnson there? Probably not. You're probably looking at someone from another team, frankly. But as far as how you organize these players on your board going into next year, Chris Paul, old man squad for life, man. At this point, how many leagues is he going to win us? Coming up on half a decade worth of Chris Paul wins. Even with his busted thumb this year, he was still a win by like 12 slots. By totals. Devin Booker, you have to shell out if you want to get him. But it does seem like he's a pretty safe late second rounder at this point. And then Mikel Bridges, I have no idea where he's going to get drafted, but he's not a sexy name, so my guess is he goes in the 60s. And at that point, I would definitely, definitely draft Bridges. Tomorrow, tomorrow, we begin our journey through Yahoo's ADP results. How did they do Compared to, or, well, how did everybody do, I guess? ADP is everybody. How did everyone do when you compare it to the actual final rank of players? And I guess, you know, probably be okay for us to use Yahoo's final rank board, but we could use BBMs also. Doesn't really matter. There'll be some small discrepancies there. But, you know, like, if you're looking at ADPs, and, like, uh, obviously Jokic was one, Doncic... Went second in leagues this last year. Steph third, James Harden fourth, Giannis fifth, KD sixth. We'll, we'll go through and we'll look and see how did it stack up. We got some Excel spreadsheets to build, don't we? Or we had the sheet build already. You guys got to fill in some of the numbers. This is a fun time. The reason we do this as a little bit of a prelude to uh, tomorrow's show and then probably the next week, week and a half's worth of shows is to figure out... First of all, how do ADPs do in general? And by the way, spoiler alert, because they're trying to combine a bunch of different formats into one number, they don't do very well. And two, we're trying to figure out where you should really diverge from those numbers. And unfortunately, because Yahoo changed their damn pre-ranks, and now they've actually pulled them down all together to get ready for next year, which is, like, kind of cheating, 
to change their numbers after the fact. We all know what they looked like. Like, DeMar DeRozan was not pre-ranked in the teens, and yet there's the pre-rank in the teens. Or there it was when we looked at it a couple weeks ago. Now they're gone again. Um, we'll look at the pre-ranks going into next year, but we'll use ADPs right now since the pre-ranks do tend to sort of I would say strongly influence the ADP. They're not exactly in lockstep. They're not in parallel, but it's close-ish. And it'll give us a nice indication of where we can pivot away from the consensus plays. Outside of the ones where it's really obvious, like Luka's going to go super high because people play points leagues and people play eight-cat leagues as well. And so that's always going to push his draft position way earlier in an ADP frame than he would be if you were just looking at nine cat results Uh, or really anyone who has horrible percentages, but other big stats or someone who has gaudy turnover numbers, but piles up the counting stats, they're going to have a higher ADP than you would take them in a nine category league because they're just, they're bad at the categories that your league values or at least counts and other leagues don't. But outside of those types of players, like Giannis with free throws, he's going to go earlier than he will. He'll he'll have an earlier ADP than his nine-cat position. We want to look rather at stuff like, you know, guys going in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Those guys, outside of, again, the punt types, where is the time to go peeling away from the consensus? There's a lot to learn here. I have to do a bunch of extra work because Yahoo screwed us on the numbers, but I'll figure it out and hopefully you guys will enjoy it because it's going to take a bunch of time that I wish that I could find in my existence. What? Where is time? I used to have time. Ah, well, not anymore. We'll figure it out. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. Shout out once again to Joe and JP on their continued hard pushes in baseball and football. Baseball in full swing. They're approaching the All-Star break. Joe's had himself an amazing first year as a fantasy podcast host. JP, just getting started. Check them out at Ethos Fantasy FB and Ethos Fantasy BB. We finally color-coded our different fantasy sports logos on Twitter. Make them a lot easier to find. Again, I'm at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, uh, and thank you again once uh, uh, once more, everybody, for continuing to listen throughout the offseason. You're the best. You're the best. Have a terrific Wednesday. I know it's hard to remember what day of the week it is when we've got that holiday up front. Terrific Wednesday. Back at you Thursday. Again, we'll start this uh, Yahoo consensus pick analysis from last year. And after that, week, week and a half, two weeks, buckets. Buckets time. All right, later, everybody. Later.